0: Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is the Q&A podcast number 10, Martinitza edition. (laughs) That means that it's March time, and I apologize to the people whose questions I'm answering because you have waited. You have waited some time. It has been a little while since I did one of these Q&A podcasts, so we've got a lot of Questions and the first one came from a guy on my YouTube channel who goes by the moniker Mahi Mahi. And yes, I actually do respond to the questions that people post on my YouTube channel. A lot of people might not do this because YouTube comment sections can kind of be akin to. Like a trash dump. But in my YouTube uh, comments, I I actually get pretty good questions and pretty good feedback from people. And so this guy, Mahi Mahi, he was asking about CMAX. And he said, if you take it for a long period, like four months or maybe longer, and then stop, will you have a lasting increased? Intelligence, Like if I use it and started reading more and more faster, increasing my language skills and using other brain parts similarly while I'm on it. And then after four months, will there be a significant increase in intelligence after I quit it? And he's asking again about CMAX, which is a BDNF promoting nootropic peptide that you uh, that you stick in your nose actually, and the the science of uh, BDNF as a mechanism, along with a lot of the anecdotal reports that I came across when I was researching that uh, four or five thousand word article on Cmax, indicated to me that yes, it should have a positive effect on increasing your intelligence even when you go off of it because BDNF is you know a really essential part of neurogenesis neuroplasticity the building of new parts of the brain and those parts remain after you've gone off of these drugs so it should it should do that for you Although, to be uh, straight up with you, I feel like if you're looking for a drug that will make your mind better, even after you go off of it, if you're looking for a drug that will like uh, permanently improve you, which is that's kind of what we're looking for, right, is you don't want to you don't want to become kind of like a a lifetime customer of these things necessarily you you ideally want to like take something and use it for a period of like a couple of months that you're intensively pursuing some path of mastery and then have improved yourself improved your mind and then you know have the choice of using it in the future or not and i'd actually probably recommend like oxyracetam or piracetam, higher, if that's what your goal is. But that is the mechanism that uh, BDNF works on. So so I think uh, CMAX is worth trying out. I hope that you do what you're suggesting here, which is like doing like four months and then going off of it and seeing if the increase in intelligence is sustained. If it is Mr. or Mrs. Mahi-Mahi, I hope you uh, shoot me a follow-up email. And let me know how that worked out for you. And then we also heard a person who said they were inspired by bliss. Just kidding, that was their that was their name on their comment. And they said TNeptine versus L tyrazine slash five H T P. Which is better. I mean he said, talking about me, he said, tyrazine 5-HTP is better for motivation and also mood lifting. What about TNeptine as a standalone? I need answers because HTP and tyrosine I can try, but TNeptine I've never heard of. So TNeptine is a pretty different kind of smart drug from uh, 5-HTP and tyrosine. And actually, 5-HTP, I have some reservations about that. In fact, I called 5-HTP a womanly antidepressant, which is not an insult. But I just, uh, looking at the evidence, looking at some of the anecdotes, I don't think that 5-HTP is that strong and that consistent of a antidepressant, and it also has kind of some some side effects to it that I don't really like. And personally, I found 5-HTP to have a really revolting taste, so I didn't like it very much. Whereas tyrosine, it has almost everything going for it. It has a really consistent effect of uplifting your mood and making you more energetic, and it has a positive effect on your cognition. It has positive effect on stress it has a really consistent anti-fatigue effect and it's quite affordable if you check it out through some of the sources that i'll link to in the article that you'll find this podcast uh, that you'll find this podcast linking to and i i feel a bit better about tneptine as an antidepressant tneptine is a very consistent antidepressant because it's a it's an opioid so you want to consider you want to consider a little bit of that like risk reward trade-off with it if you're a person who's perhaps had issues in the past with addiction and perhaps if you've struggled with opioids in the past you'd want to probably steer clear of TNeptine. But if you have a, a relatively non-addictive kind of personality, you're probably pretty okay with using TNeptine. And, and if, it was, if it was my choice about it, I would go with something like TNeptine as an as a antidepressant measure and go with tyrosine as a motivation measure. And then there's a, uh, a really cool guy that comments on my videos, with some frequency his name is uh, Paul and Ancilla or is it or is that Anchilla? I, I never know if I'm if I'm dealing with uh, when I see a name, a woman's name that has a C in the middle of it, if it's a soft C or a hard C. But Paul and Ancilla asked, do you think some smart drugs or a particular smart drug may work well for some people and have very little or no effect at all for others? How do you explain this? Just different genetics and brain chemistry, or maybe the quality of the product or how it's administered? Is there a good, bad way you have determined in your experience to take nootropics, or does it vary depending on the substance? Are there things you can do to uh, negative or minimize any undesirable effects or protect your brain chemistry and health if you are a chronic nootropics user or one more into taking risk and trying newer nootropics. Geez Paul, that's that's like that's like four and a half questions in that one. But this is this is a good question that a lot of people do wonder about and the answer is yes to at least the first question that you asked, which is that there is biodiversity among humans and amongst our response to pharmacological agents and this is why you'll you'll typically see a spectrum if you go into the anecdotal experience that people are reporting about uh, about a given nootropic and the the the, the truth is that there's a couple there's a couple of things that do seem to work pretty consistently. And those would be the nootropics that you're hearing me discuss consistently. The 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 racetams and uh, adaptogens. Those seem to have a pretty high level of consistency for people. And modafinil is a bit a bit less consistent, but it's still it's still a contender in there. Um, other than that other than that i encourage people to do their own self experimentation this is why for probably if you if you look at my content over the past year perhaps over the past 2 years i've been focused a lot more on talking to people about self experimentation with single ingredient products so that they can do some self-quantification and some determination of how they respond to single ingredients. And I've been doing that as opposed to talking about a bunch of different stack products because those stack products where they are universalizing a package of different ingredients for everybody, with those, you you have a whole lot less of a opportunity to accurately gauge exactly how different things are affecting you individually. So I, I am encouraging people to kind of go the the longer, more meticulous, more rigorous route of using these. Smart drugs, which is figuring out what things work for you, and yeah, you're totally right. There's going to be differences in genetics, differences in brain chemistry, difference is in uh, history, what they've what they've been through. There's going to be, and there's going to be qualitative differences with a product also. But as long as you're getting the pharmaceutical grade, where it's been verified above 97% purity by a uh, third-party certificate of analysis. Usually, as long as it's pharmaceutical grade, you're y- y- you can have a similar expectation from product to product or vendor to vendor. And I would say, if you're looking at trying to uh, see what is a lower risk grade and what is a higher risk grade, well, a lot of times in my articles, I give things a risk grade in between, in between A, which would be you know, good, very good, and F, which would be something quite bad, probably something that you should totally avoid. So a lot of times you can find that in my articles. Sometimes I'll have these videos and podcasts that I put out about things, but then I will get some more research or I'll be updating an article and I'll put it in there. So sometimes my podcast may not contain the most up-to-date, complete information about making your uh, risk-reward trade-off on things. And then finally, if if you're trying to mitigate your risk, you want to look for nootropics that have quality science done in them. So they have double-blind, human, placebo-controlled clinical trials that are done within the past 10 years that are saying that they are safe. And if they don't have that, then... If they don't have that in place, then these are going to be things that are going to fall into in in a gradations, as gradations of risk go, if they don't have double-blind human placebo-controlled studies done in the past 10 years, then they're going to be something that I would rank, you know, maybe like a B minus, maybe rank them in the C territory. So those are some things to think about. And then there was a guy named Aldo Velez. He asked me... Have you ever used DNA Fit or any of these private labs that provide tests for hormone levels, biomarkers, or microbiome? They seem to suggest that having one's genetic biomarkers, hormone profile, microbiome, can allow for the optimization of one's diet and further control of the body's homeostasis. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are: I think that those things are all pretty good. I think DNA Fit. I've taken a Gander at their website a couple times. I think Twenty Three and Me. Uh, I think those are all a pretty good idea because you may have a little gene somewhere in there that you don't know about that has a uh, that is uh, going to be an accomplice to the the Grim Reaper at some period in. Your future, and if you know that you have a specific gene for a specific disease, then you can take proactive steps at this point. So, I mean, when the when the downside is uh, death via some really unpleasant uh, chronic disease, uh, when that's the downside, uh, that seems like that seems like a total win-win to uh, to to. Get that sort of thing done, and it's on my list of biohacker things to do. So I'd I'd uh, love to hear from you if you get your DNA fit done. Let us know uh, what you what you thought of it. Okay, we also heard from Walt and oh okay, this was interesting. This was a this was actually a quite good question. So I said in. My video, I okay, there's a video that I did about a product called Qualia, which a lot of you probably know about Qualia. And in the video I said, if you are taking nootropic ingredients in a lot lower dosages, then there's no good reason to think that they'll actually do you any good. Okay, and Walt responded to this. He says this is false and potentially dangerous logic. Can you think of or even imagine any nutritional that is both good for you in the tested dose and worse for you in lesser doses than taking none at all? Would you tell me to blow off vitamin C completely if I could not achieve the RDA? Ridiculous. I know of no chemical that behaves as you suggest, and really it doesn't even make sense. Furthermore, testing your dosages rarely compares a full spectrum of dosages, rarely has long-term effects data and rarely can give you guidance based upon the variable absorption and metabolic rate of individuals. Finally, it is a grievous error to assume that research is without bias and has been properly vetted and critiqued. Consider that all of the above concerns are especially true for nootropics, which are largely new and novel to general consumption in particular. Your advice thus should be exactly the opposite, suggesting that users of these drugs begin with a fraction of the suggested dose and consume more only after gauging the effects. Be careful, my friend. You're taking on a grave responsibility when broadcasting nutritional advice. Being conservative, thorough, and highly skeptical is totally appropriate. So this is a pretty good argument, but I think I'm going to stand behind my original statement because my... my. Views and opinions are derived almost completely from the clinical human trials that are being done with these drugs and supplements. And in these clinical trials, they are going to use whatever is the minimum effective dose of a given supplement to achieve a result they in these clinical trials they're not going to use they're they're not going to do what you see some of these kind of foolhardy biohackers on the internet doing where they just take like an extreme dosage or they just they just take like a attack dosage in these clinical trials they are doing what you're suggesting here which is being conservative and they're starting out at like what is the what is the minimum possible uh, the minimum effective dosage and they're trying to get the most bang for their buck out of the minimum effective dosage and then they are uh, putting those results into the study because of course if you're conducting a if you're conducting a study with with human participants you're going to be extremely risk-averse. The the very last thing that you want in your study is for your subjects, your human subjects, to experience toxicity or your human subjects to experience uh, some type of negative side effect from uh, excessive use of what the supplement is. So what I would suggest is that in the trials that i'm deriving my conclusions from they are most li- they are in those most likely in most cases again i'm making a, i'm making a bit of a generalization of saying what is probably true most of the time and i'm sure there's going to be i'm sure there's going to be fringe examples that would that would contradict this but what is true most of the time is that the researchers are trying to figure out minimum effective dose and you also want to consider in most of these human clinical trials what they are doing is they are looking to treat cure or prevent different diseases and negative health conditions they are they're often not although there's there's a minority i would say it's maybe like Uh, 10%, 15%, probably not more than 20% of the human clinical studies that are done are done specifically on healthy people and seeing how healthy people respond. Usually they're saying how these supplements or drugs are useful for treating unhealthy, sick people. And what they're doing is they're looking for minimum effective dose to treat unhealthy people. And so uh, I would actually kind of suggest that in a lot of cases, if you're an, in the majority of cases, if you're an already healthy, otherwise uh, vigorous, otherwise, you know, balanced uh, biology person, you're probably actually going to need a bit more than, uh, in a lot of cases, you're going to need a bit more than what was the uh, dosage in the in the studies for the sick people to give you some type of to give you some type of enhancement above baseline because those uh, neurobiological chemical deficiencies that the drug is making up for in the sick people and making them better that's something that you, something that you already have on baseline but this is. This, this is a bit of a, a slippery a slippery issue to really speak about well in terms of generalization because again this is going to vary uh, so much you mentioned here vitamin C for example and I think I'd probably agree with you with vitamin C it's probably one of those things where you could take it at a, a fraction of the RDA and you get some type of proportional benefit. To it, but again, when you have a product like Qualia where you have 40 different ingredients all mixed together, um, it's really hard to say, and it's and it's it, it, you're going to be inaccurate with any type of generalization that you try to make about 40 different ingredients. So that's my uh, justification for why I said what I did about about the ingredients, and uh, take it. Take it or leave it, do your own Do your own self experimentation. Moving on to the next question. We heard from a guy asking about the tantric semen retention videos that I did. And he said, during Tantra, I feel this rush of energy and a full body sexual high, my blood pumping, all of this without touching my dick at all. It's amazing, isn't it? And I go to sleep on this high And the next morning, I feel good, refreshed, normal. And what happened to my rush and semen during my sleep overnight? No wet dreams, boxers dry, etc. Did it all absorb into my body? Did I do it right? I think you did. You may want to give a read of the Two books that I recommended which was the uh, Tao of longevity sex and health and then the other one was the multi orgasmic man and what they talk about in those is when you're doing those tantric exercises correctly that the uh, that the semen that you have that it gets reabsorbed into your uh, prostrate so it does it does stay inside of uh, your body, although there's there's probably just a little bit that, uh, that, that works its way out. So if you, if you haven't already, check out. If you're a guy, if, if you're a lady, unfortunately I have nothing to help you with in this department. But if, you, if you're a guy, do check out the uh, content that I have in a private area of my website about tantric semen retention. Another question I got from someone who was they said, I'm curious, did you get eye problem from TBI? I'm looking for treatment for possible TBI or asphyxia-induced attention, uh, depression, and cognitive treatment. I was on TNeptine for quite a while and it helped a little. Now I got 1200 milligrams of Paracetam prescription and I'm starting tomorrow. TBI stands for Traumatic Brain Injury. And my eye problem, my crossed eye, is something that has developed over time. I did not get it from a traumatic brain injury. I think I got it mostly just from using computers way too much over the years. And then I was born with a little bit of uh, strabismus, crossed eye syndrome. So I think that for you, okay, you mentioned... Uh, 1,200 milligrams of paracetam. I think I think the paracetam is a pretty great idea for you. I think it'll help with the uh, symptoms that you're suffering from. In fact, it's probably been a while since you left this comment. So if you want to send me a, a follow-up, I'd, I'd really appreciate that. Next, we heard from Noobs. And he said, could you make a video entirely dedicated to to how to find your ideal dosage. I'm a big guy, six foot five inches, bordering 500 kilograms, and, 100 kG, and I've been experimenting around with modafinil and some racetams, mainly aniracetam to help my ADHD. But if I use the standard doses, I don't get much of a result. I'd like to know how I could find my ideal dosage and cycle so that I can get the benefits of biohacking without running into a resistance curve where it becomes useless. Unrelated question. Would you say what would you say, which would you say is better, paracetam or aniracetam? I've read around online, and the general consensus is that aniracetam is better because it is faster acting and more powerful, and it dissolves in lipids, not water, but many people say the opposite, and I wanted an expert's opinion. Okay, with paracetam and aniracetam, those two in comparison is kind of like a different strokes for different folks type thing personally i used aniracetam i've used it a couple of times now and i've just never been all that impressed with it but occasionally i'll hear from people and they'll be like oh my gosh aniracetam this stuff is amazing they'll be really really impressed with it so this is one of these things where I think you just need to try both and figure out what works best. And then I'll address your first question. And this is a thing where your neurobiology, your brain, your mind is trying to always reach a state of homeostasis. It's trying to always kind of get back to baseline. And this is why you develop tolerance to things over Time and also you know you're a big guy and so you're naturally going to have a bit higher tolerance to things. I'm curious. You may, may perhaps you can respond to me. Do you have a higher tolerance to alcohol? Because a lot of times people that have a high tolerance to alcohol, they're also gonna, there's similarly have a high tolerance to these to these smart drugs. And there's a couple of things that could be going on there. Uh, a lot of times, what happens is your okay, your stomach lining and your large large intestine, small intestine lining can sometimes be in poor health because you're aware of you have this thing called the the microbiome going on. You've got like this internal environment of uh, like billions or trillions of microorganisms uh, living inside of your body and interacting with your biology. And they're involved with the digestion of everything that you consume. And if this microbiome is in non-optimal condition, then it's not going to absorb all of these uh, cool nootropics and smart drugs that me and a bunch of other people are talking about. And you're going to be like, wow, I'm really kind of disappointed. And so there's some different steps that you can take. And this is probably a, a situation where you might want to read the book... Headstrong by Dave Asprey. He talks about this in there about uh, optimizing your diet for absorption of supplements because you know in that book he recommends all these different fancy mitochondrial supplements uh, and some of the, some of them are quite expensive and, and some of them are worth it because they they really do work great. But if your if your uh, digestive tract is not optimized for the absorption, then you're kind of you're you're literally just uh just pooping a lot of these fancy supplements out. They're they're being deposited into the uh, the uh, the porcelain throne, right? And we don't really want that. So you might want to look into things like uh, getting more probiotic foods into your diet, as that makes your your stomach lining. And you're also going to want to do a bit more research on enzymes enzymes, and optimizing your enzymes for absorption of different nootropics. And that is something that honestly I should probably do a piece of podcast specifically uh, on that because it is an issue that I come across from time to time. And then I'll also mention you're looking for things that are going to be real potent because your tolerance is generally a bit higher as a big guy. So you might want to consider pharmaceutical grade nicotine as a nootropic it's it's a really effective nootropic and it actually does help quite a bit with adhd it puts you in like a nice focused state and i believe don't quote me on this but i believe that there's some studies that were done with nicotine and adhd where it did help people out and it's something that you take a tiny little bit of it underneath your tongue and it uh, works quite effectively and quite, quite quickly. So you might want to experiment with that and then you're going to want to experiment with the different racetams. And, though, and those are all the questions that we have in this March edition of the Biohacking Q&A podcast. I will also mention a lot of times I have people that have like real specific issues and they want to go a bit deeper with me on what their uh, biohacking or could be life hacking issues are. And I've I've been kind of coaching people, perhaps you could call it like biohacking, life coaching for a couple of years now. And what I did was, uh, initially what I would do is I would get on like these Skype calls with people and we'd have like a conversation for like an hour or 90 minutes or two hours sometimes and I wanted to make this a bit more efficient. So I created this form on my website and this is this is a great form, I dare say. This is gonna be like one of the, the best forms that you'll ever have the pleasure of filling out on the internet. I created this form with a bunch of different questions to kind of like assess your uh, biohacking wellness and i'd really encourage you to go check that form out hey maybe you don't even maybe you don't even need my uh, my my consulting and my, and, and my advice, but in this form, I ask a bunch of questions that perhaps will make you aware of some uh, deficits or some uh, factors that are really holding you back because we, we we all have cognitive uh blind spots, right? And so I created this form based upon a bunch of different books that I've read and psychology things that I've researched. And uh, it has a bunch of different questions that I think might help you to narrow down what your issues might be. And then, of course, you could submit that form. And if I think that I can help you, then I will let you know. And, you know, maybe we can get on a Skype call. So maybe check that out. I'll link to that below this podcast. Again, I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. And as always, I look forward to a continued conversation with you. Legal notices. If you or someone you know developed or created a concept, piece of content, or idea shared on this show, please email us at info at LimitlessMindset.com so we can mention them in the show notes or provide a backlink. We want to give credit where credit is due. As a listener to the Limitless Mindset podcast, we hope you have and practice common sense. However, since some of the content covered in this show deals with subjects of a health, legal, or business nature, this show is for entertainment purposes. If you need recommendations of doctors, nutritionists, or attorneys to consult before making decisions that may have health or legal repercussions, please email us at info at limitlessmindset.com.